0: Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Or wonder no more? Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine.
1: on comics, and I'm your host, Essie Fleenor. And I'm Sarah Century. Thanks for listening.
2: So we're going to do something a little bit different with this question. It's still geekdom, but instead of comics, I want to know what Star Trek character would you be? And I don't want to know just from you and me, Sarah. I want to hear from our sound engineer, Kate.
1: Kate, what's up? (laughs)
2: Yay, we have Kate! Oh, I'm so happy! Okay, but Sarah, you have to go first.
1: Okay, well, I think that mine is probably the most obvious, which is I'm clearly Deanna Troy. Yeah, okay, why? Oh, obvious reasons. For instance, all of the feelings. Also, <laughs> a strong tendency to wearing cleavage dresses regardless of <laughs> what level of appropriate they are and uh, dating. I like that it's feelings <laughs> and <then> cleavage. <laughs> These two things. I feel like, you know, the perfect cleavage dress is really letting people around you know that you're ready to empathize with them. Yeah. Um, I think that that's really the signal that's sent by a cleavage dress. So that's kind of what I try to do. I really think I learned that from Deanna Troy in a lot of ways really good you know person to look up to and idealize or look down to <laughs> also <laughs> I mean either but way you're, you're going to you know, see standards if you're going to see some cleavage either way some but cleavage <laughs> these boobs are
2: made for comforting
1: oh they sure are and <laughs> it's like you make it very easy you know to empathize and you make it very easy I really want to open up to you Diana Troy and yeah just all of the elements she's kind of a harsh person in a weird way there's a lot of nuance to her character I think that She is somebody who meets people and says, I'm here trying to empathize with you and I'm trying to counsel you immediately. But there's always an undercurrent of like a little bit of judgment. She judges humans a little bit, which is really interesting to me. She is absolutely ruthless in the situations where she has to be. She allows the death of all of those Romulans and that ship that one episode and Feels all of those deaths and doesn't do anything and doesn't show her emotional reaction to anybody but the viewers, right? So you see somebody who has a lot of secret judgment and a lot of secret anger and a lot of secret ruthlessness that is hidden under these beautiful cleavage dresses. <laughs>
2: I love that like this started as like which one would you be? And now you're just analyzing Deanna, but now you're actually just like showing us like who what a you weird are. person like, you're I am. Ruthless underneath this like cleavage that I can see. I
1: can't see anything. Would you have a t-shirt? On? Yeah, it's snowing outside. Yeah, um, well, fair enough. <laughs> we're not in space. It's not heat controlled. But Diana is consistently drawn to people who don't have her same ability to empathize and so she ends up in these kind of one-sided relationships. I'm not specifically talking about anybody (laughs) (laughs) but I'm just going to say it happens sometimes and uh, yeah, just all of those things. I think that I'm a Deanna Troy because I'm empathetic. I have a secret ruthlessness to me and I take things much more seriously than I need to despite being really good at bringing humor whenever I feel like other people need it. So I feel Mm. like I try really hard to meet other people's needs but also. So there's always a part of me that's like fucking humans. Like you fucking don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you don't think of yourself as human. Um, yeah, I think I'm a very much like Deanna Troy. I love it. You're like partially human. Yeah, like, like uh, the, oh, part, the part, the part of myself ones. that I judge and that I think is weak, essentially, you know, is kind of the thing and how it works with Deanna Troy. So I just want to give you a hug right now. I feel like this got way heavier than it I'm gonna hug to. you after. Okay, but um. <laughs> Yeah, and it's fine. I like hugs. And Deanna Troy is great, but also she's more complicated than people give her credit for, you know? And I think that a lot of people who have intense empathy have to deal with a heavier side of that that not everybody always sees. Well, yeah,
2: and on a regular basis, when everyone else is strategizing and everyone else is like thinking their way through things, Deanna is like absorbing. Hey, there's something going on. Yeah. That ship isn't where you think it is. I can sense something out in the darkness. And it's like, oh, my
1: God, that is such an amazing power. She saves their lives so many times. I love the one, too, where she is immune. Everybody's getting—it's like the (gasps) Valentine's Day or whatever, and everybody's getting all, like, sauced up on each other and, like, the weird energy, you know? What is it, like, pheromones or something? Who knows? Something like that, some science. But everybody's, like, falling in love with each other. Yar and Data are hooking up, and, like, all of this weird stuff is happening. And Deanna's like, you don't have to worry about me. I'm completely immune to this. But then because she is empathetic and everybody else is not immune to it, then she no longer is immune to it because of the effect of that on her mind. And I always feel that as strong of a personality as I am, my moods are very, very easily influenced by other people or like, you know, a shift in the breeze or something. I feel like I'm always on kind of that hair trigger a little bit. I internalize that instead of talking about it, which is really what Deanna does as well. And this is kind of the counselor problem, right? as much as that might sound like a little bit heavy or something, Deanna Troy is a heavy character, you know? For sure. So am I, For of sure. As much as we like to joke and play around and all of that kind of stuff, when I say us, I mean me and Deanna Troy. I assumed um, <laughs> that is what you meant. <laughs> and as much as we love, you know, winning people over with our cleavage dresses and, you know, just being kind of flippant and fun and somebody that people can consistently rely on, there's always that tension. And whenever that tension in Deanna comes through, I find her the most, you know, relatable because even though that's something that I don't like in my Myself, is something that exists in myself definitely and that you know once you give so much or something then you start to feel a weird resentment towards the rest of humanity and that, that's something that is the after effect of empathy that we don't address that much and I think totally. that that's why she's a deeper character and that's why I think that she's the most relatable mostly it's because like we're both the babes on the crew yeah I mean total <laughs> totally that's <laughs> and we date like a walking boner. the babes <laughs> uh Crusher anybody no. I'm sorry no Crusher doesn't exist in my world, all right. but no, she does. Cool. She's the best. She's <laughs> best friends with uh Deanna Troy, and they exercise together, and I really I mean, love that. I ship it. I would say that uh, Crusher oh, is definitely a Taurus, and that I am best friends with Tauruses all of the time, so I'm going to say that that all holds up pretty good. Yeah, if I was going to be in
2: TNG, I'd be Crusher. Mostly because I love the way she walks around with her hands in her pockets, oh and her, my like, God. doctor coat. I have a really long sweater, and whenever I wear it, I just keep my hands in my pockets, and I think,
3: mm, I'm Beverly Crusher.
2: which is adult ginger very ginger vibes going on also like you know, women kind in of STEM gonna, gonna bone down with JLP,
1: but not. You know, yeah. It's like, Damn it, just do it already. She's playing, but that's just it. me watching Star Trek. <laughs> I think that she plays it really close to the vest with him, and I think that it really works for him, and yeah. it really works for her too.
2: Totally, I love their thing.
1: But I think if I was going to be any character from any of Star Trek,
2: I'm probably seven of nine because I'm a stone cold Betty. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like a fat seven of nine. I think it's like this tragic past thing. God, do I relate to a tragic past? I'm like, who has the worst past in whatever (laughs) I'm watching? Yes, that one is me. I am that one. Obviously, I'm Harry Potter. Obviously, I'm (laughs) Steven from Steven Universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, what's the worst thing? That's this one. So I really identified to being ripped out of my home and, like, relocated to a new culture. I was, like, adopted when I was 15. She's, like, seven when she gets taken by the Borg. Mm -hmm. And then being, like, reintroduced back into like sort of normal environment, the home that I was adopted into, very loving in many ways, but very conservative Christian. So Mm. kind of not a great place to be like a queer, non-binary trans person.
1: Yeah, and Um, doesn't Seven of Nine also kind of have body awareness issues and things? Yes. Getting back in touch with their body and things? Well, and I think that people misinterpret it. You know, like, there's a lot of, like, the doctor
2: and Janeway trying to encourage her to date and find romance. Uh huh. And I think it's kind of, well, this is what we would do to a woman on a TV show. We would force her to date someone. Right. But that's not really what Seven's all about. Yeah. Seven is, like, I want to be with people, but I also want to be removed. And I've always identified with that like as a person who's always like observing and sort of like seeing how all the pieces come together. I also love that she's a workaholic. Uh Uh-huh. Like I relate to that very deeply. Yeah, so is Deanna. Yeah, yeah. That my romantic relationships have to be able to sustain my workaholic capacity because I'm not going to change that. That's actually something I like about myself. Do I need balance? Ask my therapist. (laughs) She would say yes. (laughs) And like Seven of Nine, I do better when I'm around people who are like me, but I don't think I need them. So when she and up with all the kids who are young adults, not children, they end up really enriching her life and helping her touch the parts of herself that are like, I don't have to be human to be what I am. Yeah. I'm something else. I'm Borg. Yeah. And I am human.
1: I was thinking that there's a lot of self-acceptance is kind of the major theme because you bring up the dating and I'm just like looking back on the series, I barely think about that part and whenever I think about 709, I think of somebody who's coming into their power, into their own space. She definitely has, like, a queer-coded relationship with Janeway that sure. is
2: very scintillating and fun. Yes. <laughs> but also, like, it's it's mentorship and it's— it's An archive of our own.org. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone head to AO3. The sort of need to reconcile with her past. Like, she's not going to get over it until she deals with it, right? Right. And I feel like that has been the lesson of my therapy experience is that I keep being like, am I fucking done with this yet? Like, I thought I crossed this off the list. My therapist is like, no, nah, bitch, you just starting. That's step one. We got to go step two. Then we're going to go step three. Then we're going to come back to step one. It's going to be one C. It's just like ongoing and ongoing. And I feel like that's definitely the story of her. I'm really, really excited that she's going to be in Picard. Oh
3: yeah, looking forward to all of them. As far as like reconciling with your past, I think there's that one episode where there's those three drones that are connected to each other. (gasps) And it's kind of her fault because she, like when they're stranded on that planet, she has to link their minds together. Because they can't handle
2: not being a hive. Right. They need a hive because they're, they're just drones, you know?
3: Right, and then they all end up going through the procedure where they get... To be disconnected from each other and not be in each other's heads anymore which they all want but they only have a couple months to live after that and she has to like reconcile with the fact that they're all gonna die basically because of a choice that she made
2: yeah like the the, the way she grapples with feelings I have been making this joke for like the last year that it turns out I don't know how to feel anything and I'm learning how to feel things and it's fucking awful and it's wonderful it's like a huge gift again to be able to get to go to therapy to be able to spend the money on it to be able to find a therapist that I really resonate with because I live in a big enough place you know the privilege just compounds but it it's been remarkable learning to feel and I you know I'd kind of forgotten about that episode
1: okay Kate I want to hear about you I also want to just know when you first started watching Star Trek yes
3: definitely as a kid TNG was on TV I watched it and Buffy the Vampire Slayer all the time on the couch with my family I don't know when the episode came out, Skin of Evil, the one where Yard dies, but it had to have been, I was probably really, really small, but I remember that happening on TV and being viscerally affected by it because I saw Lieutenant Yara as this non-femme person. I mean, she was femme, but like, you know, less femme than Troy or For like the world, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, obviously a badass. And then I don't think I'd seen a main character die on TV, you know, ever. I just remember that really affecting me. I'm not sure if I saw that when it was first aired or rerun or anything, but I had to have been pretty little. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyways, so if there's a character that I relate to the most, my honest answer is probably something that's a little bit boring, like not a bridge officer, some blue shirt science officer that's hanging out in the stellar cartography lab or some shit, you know.
1: Somebody asked them for something and they're like, You got it. And that's their line through the episode.
3: <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, like the love interest of Picard's who, for a while, was draining energy off of the deflector dish or whatever. I like so, that like, one. I like that in one. Working stellar cartography at four in the morning and like gets really <laughs> upset when she's interrupted and plays the keyboard and, you know, whatever. But honestly, I couldn't pick one. So I think if I could get close, it'd be like a mashup between Real Laren and Harry Kim. Because
2: oh, what a mashup though. <laughs> well, That's one's, great. One's super cool and the other
3: one's a huge dork. The things that I feel like I relate to about Roland aren't the super cool things about her. <laughs> and the things that I relate to with Harry Kim are the really nerdy things. <laughs> so, but I love Harry Kim. Oh, uh, you know, Harry's, <laughs> Harry's, uh, he loves following the rules. He loves following he, Tom Paris he,
2: around. Yeah, he <laughs> loves
3: chumming it up with Tom. I don't think my love interests or dating habits resemble Harry Kim's. <laughs> um, Thank goodness. Yeah, so Harry Kim's a nerd. He misses his family. If I was separated from my family, I'd probably be a mess as well. Oh, what a terrible quality in a person. What a nerd. Well, you know, he's just so whiny about it. He's always like, when are we going to get in that wormhole? You know, Uh <laughs> He was flung (laughs) 70 years through space. I know. He's he's an ensign. It's his first away mission. Right. I get it. (laughs) This is hilarious. He's really good at fixing things, which I'm not a whiz at fixing things, but I'll generally at least take a crack at anything and probably break it at least (laughs) worse to where you can't put it back together rather than say like, oh, I don't know how
2: to fix that. So what are the things you identify with with Ro?
3: So with Ro, I think a big part of my life was kind of unfortunately being a bit of an elitist. She's all Starfleet. You guys are nerds. Like, <laughs> I went to jail because, like,
1: <laughs> just my inner thought of you as a young and like listening to the X Men theme song on your headphones <laughs> and being like, you're all nerds.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is like nobody was nerdy enough. Everyone right. was just always into what was popular. popular. And Starfleet is the popular thing, it's what everyone should aspire to do. And Rose, like, God, I'm so not into being at Starfleet. Also, I guess there's that one episode where. Troy's, like, the highest-ranking bridge officer, and it's her and Roe and I think one other character that's stuck on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to figure out how to keep the war corps from exploding, but they can't communicate with other parts of the ship. Deanna, Troy has to make these judgment calls. Oh, maybe it's O'Brien, which is just a horribly forgettable character. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah>. Sorry, O'Brien. <laughs> Sorry, O'Brien. I'm really... You know it's true. Uh, you know. Not here for it. Rose like... No, we have to do this my way, Uh, Troy. You don't know what you're talking about. We have to shut this down. We have to do this whole thing. Separate the saucer section. I think she's arguing is should be the plan. Troy's like, I'm not willing to do that. There's still people living on that area, so this is the judgment call that I'm going to make. And Rose is like, you should be doing it my way. And like, there isn't. This is
1: actually a very clear interpretation of how Kate and I interact with each other.
3: (laughs) Just kidding. There's like no argument. Oh, I didn't even think about the fact that you were Troy. Like. That's a part of myself that I'm constantly trying to keep in check. I don't know how to do everything. I think as a woman growing up in the tech field, like sound engineering and music and stuff, you're constantly being mansplained to. And I'm the youngest of six kids, so I constantly have this like, I know what I'm doing, like don't tell me how to do stuff. And I, I do try to keep that in check. So when she finally accedes to Troy, it's like, okay, this
2: was the right choice to make or whatever. So yeah, that's my answer, I guess. I love it. I love that you you chose to, because I, I was telling Sarah, I don't know if you all know Enneagram. I don't know Enneagram very well, but I have a friend who's like, I want you to do groom, So I've been trying to, like, get into it. Because, you know,
1: I love my friends.
2: And apparently you have, like, a main number and then you have a wing number. Mm-hmm. So if you had to choose which was your main and which was your wing, who would oh, be your wing? Probably. Which one's your
1: rising sign?
2: Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> rising sign. That was a better way of
3: putting it. <laughs> well, probably Harry Kim. Because in the end, Rolaren goes off with a monkey. She, like, breaks all the rules. And I'm just a little too straight and narrow for that. Also, Harry Kim has a long way to go. You never know. You see him later in life and he's like, this is hard, and t- I fucked up the future I have to save everyone from dying <laughs> maybe I get a little
1: more rugged in the future I don't know <laughs> I could see that for you <laughs> old man Kate is going to be real fun to, <laughs> to interact with who's your rising character Sarah? James Kirk <laughs> <laughs> Why? because I think him and Deanna Troy are the other sides of each other kind of in a lot of ways you have Kirk who's Very brassy, straightforward, just runs into these situations, you know, doesn't think about things, but there's a secret empathy to him. And then you have Troy, who is very secretly judgy and kind of secretly arrogant and things like that. So I think that my rising sign would be Kirk's situation because it's like as much as those characters are dissimilar, they also kind of show my different sides of my character.
3: And Kirk is really intelligent. And he doesn't always show it off. And he smashes. And he smashes.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Kirk Fox. <laughs> Kirk Fox, for sure. Also, I want to say, so does Deanna, for sure. Well,
2: for sure. <laughs> She's banging people better than they've ever had it in their lives. Cool. For yeah. sure. I mean, that's how empath? I be myself. An, an empath? empath?
3: In bed? An empath I mean, gets down. What's
2: up, everyone? <laughs> yeah. So I'm I don't understand, understand why Sarah is <laughs> still single.
1: <laughs> okay, this is basically an episode to help Sarah get laid. <laughs> My dating profile is I'm a Troy <laughs> with a <the> Kirk rising. <laughs> Date me, ladies. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good one. My rising is definitely Janeway
2: because I can be a little bit controlling because of, I don't like chaos, and because I am never out of my depth. Right. There's a groundedness, right, that I think. It does not matter what is burning down around me. I am like, okay, you need to do this. You need to do that. Can you please go, like, plug that hole so, you know, we don't all die? (laughs) And could you just, like, calm down, please? Just, like, a little. (laughs) And I think it can be useful in crises, and it can also be incredibly annoying. Of course, When you have someone who's like, I just – can we – what if we just all calm down a little? But then I think, you know, the the bad parts of Janeway, the, like, arrogance and the – I think she has a a really nihilist streak that people don't really think about with her where she's like, well, fuck it. We'll just travel through space. Yeah. We'll just get home. Nothing matters. So w- I guess we'll just do this thing. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a Starfleet officer. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I really relate to that where I'm like, the whole fucking world is just broken. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I guess we're just going to keep doing what we're doing <laughs> until we get there. I don't know where there is.
3: You know, she's solution oriented though, and I think you've talked about being a tourist and really liking your home and your digs and being comfortable. I mean, ninety percent of the time if Janeway has like personal time or you know, what is it? She's like not on duty. She's at in her quarters kicking it with a book. You know what I mean? Like Re- drinking some black <laughs> coffee. Drinking coffee. And she's she likes her creature comforts. She you know, maybe once in a while she's playing fucking Velocity with seven of nine, but for the most part, She's gonna be just like chilling. She invites people over for dinner in her quarters, and she and Chakotay definitely bang.
2: Right?
3: Oh, Chakotay. Janeway Fox. Oh. <laughs> well, there's that one episode where they're about to make a fucking home together.
2: Yeah, they get stranded on, on the planet because they're the only ones who have like the whatever they contracted. Yeah. And Dude. they're like, and we're looking into each other's eyes, and I'm like, just stay, just stay, don't get on the ship, just, just, just they build a life. Like this close, and then they're like, we're back. <laughs> it's like, turns out we can't do this show
1: without our stars. <laughs> <laughs> the captain needs to rejoin, <laughs> and then they were never seen again, and the series ended that episode.
2: It was uh, like when we were watching the Steven Universe movie, <laughs> we're like the first song is like Happy, and we're like, oh good, the movie's over. Check, <laughs> like, <laughs> everything
1: stayed happy. <laughs> Yay. I want to say thank you, Kate, for sharing this. I love talking about Star Trek with you. And I also want to say that I started a conversation one time on Twitter that was essentially the same as this. What Star Trek character do you relate the most to and why? And it was one of the most fun conversations I've ever had on Twitter. So I would like to open this also to any listeners just to tell us, you know, what Star Trek character you relate to and why you do, because this is always a really fun conversation. Polish off your gifts,
2: so we can all retweet them and love JLP grabbing his forehead in disdain. Oh, my god, oh god!
1: Oh god! The Diana Troy gift that I most relate to is the one where she's like, "I am the goddess of empathy."
3: <laughs> oh, oh but the one where fucking Barkley is like fantasizing about her and dealing with his hollow addiction.
1: Yeah, I'm that Troy. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically,
3: maybe you're the Troy that's looking at that Troy being like, "Are you
1: fucking Whoa. serious?" <laughs> And also being kind of like, I am sort of the opposite of of empathy.
0: She's like, you know, both, this is too much, and you nailed it. on. (laughs) And you nailed it. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Fucking Barkley. Hey, Se. Hey, what's up? What sounds cool to you?
1: uh extra content where i could hear more from these bitches oh my god that sounds really great to me as well i think maybe we should have a patreon <laughs> let's do it you can
2: find us at patreon.com backslash bitches on comics you gotta type out the whole thing unfortunately because we're unsearchable because we say fuck this is the first i've ever heard of it
1: but it sounds great i'm gonna try it
2: This week's Comic of the Week is Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Issue number 28. Part 1, Bright One Candle. Written by Sholly Fish. Pencils by Robert Pope. Inks by Scott McCrae, Colors by Jason Lewis. Letters by Seda Tomofonte.
1: So as you know, it's the holidays-ish. And as we don't celebrate really any winter holidays from what I know about this group pretty much, (laughs) but it seems that whenever we look at comics, there is a lot of Christmas stories and there just aren't that many about Hanukkah. So when we were looking for Hanukkah stories, we were drawn to this one because it's one of the ones that is actually listed on a list of what are the best Hanukkah stories. And, you know, we actually have another episode coming up soon, but this one is important because it is It is hilarious. It is hilarious. It's It's like, I can't believe how well they capture the voices of the Scooby-Doo characters? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, zoinks! Like, no. <laughs> Those are really fun. The characterization is good. I want to also say that the Scooby-Doo universe of comics has actually usually been pretty fun. They recently did Grim and Gritty Scooby-Doo, which was terrible, of course. But there was a Scooby-Doo team-up book where we see them team up with Jonah Hex and all of these what? bonkers <laughs> DC properties that just don't make sense. And it was really fun to and read. And why not? Yeah, it, there's a Doom Patrol team-up with uh. Scooby-Doo. Can you believe it? So this is the world we're living in. So I just want to say, if you've been sleeping on the Scooby-Doo comics, they're not exactly what I guess you would consider to be serious literature or something. But they're fun, silly comics. They are a good time. Yeah. Uh, So the plot of this one eludes me, having Um, literally just read it. (laughs) So basically...
2: It's not explained why, but the Mystery Inc. crew is at a temple for Hanukkah.
1: Yeah. Who's Jewish in this group? Because did, no one. They they didn't they were specify. invited
2: by the rabbi, okay. I believe. bit of a little bit being so nice yeah. and explaining about Hanukkah. Yeah, they talk about the details, right, of it's the really celebration. Nice. It's really nice the way they get into it, actually. Mm-hmm. And then they go to light the menorah. Right. And the oil is missing.
1: Right. And the, the Hanukkah story, you know, in its foundation, speaking as somebody who, of course, has a limited understanding of these things, Um it is about the oil that wasn't supposed to last more than a few hours, last the full period of Hanukkah. Right. The Antiochus, this like baddie,
2: is oppressing the Jewish people, trying to kill the Maccabees.
1: Mm-hmm. The
2: Maccabees, the menorah is a sign of their faith. The menorah stays lit at all times. The Maccabees are surrounded, they run out of oil. They only have one day's worth of oil left, and they have more oil coming on the way, but they're like, what are we going to do these seven days? And that's the miracle. Right. The, the one day's worth of oil stays for eight days. But there's a villain of this story. So in this story, then Antiochus's ghost is is haunting the Mystery Inc. crew and the kids who are— Like at their Hanukkah party. Yeah, they're like playing with the dreidel.
1: (laughs) And then there's like a ghost haunting them. I'm this anti Semitic ghost from forever ago. And yeah, it's super uh, baffling and fun, kind of in a way. It's like a
2: murder mystery, except instead of murdering, they have the candle and the oil.
1: Yeah, very typical, I guess, of a Scooby-Doo scenario. Totally, there's multiple door
2: openings, then they're like, what are these interesting
1: symbols? (laughs) Yeah, so we get a lot of 101, I guess, on a lot of the celebration behind Hanukkah. Yeah. And, you know, that's nice. It's nice to see a comic where it's kind of aimed at kids, and, you know, it kind of talks about it a little bit more and though it doesn't necessarily center Jewish people in the narrative it centers the story right so it is looking at it from an outsider perspective but hopefully that can help kids who are reading this comic actually understand things a little bit better right so yeah I would think a lot of Jewish kids actually know this story pretty well already (laughs) and they're kind of like all right I know what the symbols mean I don't think I need a refresher thanks though person who wrote this Um,
2: but it's kind of cute because the kids are the ones who are like let me teach you miss This symbol means this And this means this And then there's like that moment Where they're like
1: We've figured
2: it out Because it's Scooby-Doo, right? Right.
1: So there's the unmasking where it turns out that it's the rabbi. (laughs) No, it's the educational director. Right. It's the educational director. And they're like, oh, why did you do that? And they're like, we just thought it would be a fun way to teach the kids. (laughs) We just thought this would be super fun to reenact, you know, what the cause of Hanukkah is. Yeah, which is like actually a really bleak story. But yeah, it's definitely just kind of like, or, you know, it's a miraculous story, but it's bleak. And, you know, there's definitely an oppressor. Yeah, and people are dying. Uh, And also you have a ghost jumping out at you and screaming things at you about how they're going to end Hanukkah forever. So it's definitely a very interesting way to teach, you know, that kind of heritage, I think. but it it also is just like, how weird, you know? Like, what a weird
2: comic. Yeah, it's so strange. Like, I'm not sure Scooby-Doo's the right (laughs) venue for a Hanukkah story. Right. For many reasons, including there always has to be a ghost or something. Right. But I think given the conceit that Uh makes you no sense.
1: It's quite delightful actually. It's delightful and it's just nice to see somebody talk about Hanukkah in a comic honestly. Like yeah. we uh we're looking around and we're definitely open to suggestions, but there Yeah, if you have some comics out there for any of the the holidays that you
2: celebrate of any tradition, please feel free to send them to us. We will always read we'll always read anything. We love to celebrate other people's holidays and and recognize them and even though we don't have our own traditions, we still really
1: love being able to honor other people's. Yeah, we don't have our own traditions, but you know, that means we don't celebrate Christmas really either. So uh, we're not one-sided on this, but it definitely is just that there's an abundance of Christmas stories available. I would say that (laughs) this isn't a comic book that's going to teach you a ton of stuff unless maybe you didn't know, like, anything about Hanukkah. But if you're just looking to give a comic to a kid that is, you know, more inclusive of other... The colors colors are are solid. It's It's, funny. It's cute. There's jokes. This premise makes no sense like every great Scooby-Doo story. Oh, Uh, totally. And, you know, I really... I really
2: liked that they captured the stoner vibe of Oh, Shaggy yeah, they sure movie.
1: did. Yeah. It really comes through strong. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought that it was a pretty fun issue, and I'm glad that we at least got to talk about it. Totally. Thanks for tuning in. If
2: you have questions for Bitches on Comics, or if you're a comic creator and want to send us copies of your work, please email us at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. B dot T-C-H-E-S o n c o m i c s at gmail.com gmail does not like the word bitch so make sure you leave the i out otherwise we won't get your
1: email remember there is no i in bitch if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by rating and reviewing us on itunes spotify or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts we also have a patreon www.patreon.com slash bitches on comics where we have exclusive content I'm Essie Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at EssieFleenor.com. I'm Sarah Century, and you can learn more about me at www.sarahcentury.com. Music provided by Earth Control Pill, which you can find at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded and edited by Kate Warner. Learn more about Kate and her band, Churchfire,
2: at churchfiremusic.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
1: Anna Sheridan. New York Times best-selling author of Supernatural Horror, missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is this or did I Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierced the veil, so to speak.
0: Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast.